Welcome to Cinema Joes, the podcast where three average Joes discuss the significant topics in movie culture. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here. I'm also the co-host of the Podwork Angels, the Rush Hour podcast, a podcast dedicated to rock band Rush. But I'm very happy to welcome one of my other co-hosts. He is the podcast editor for thepopbreak.com, Alex Marcus. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Pretty good. I was just telling you off air how <laughs> I had a pretty hectic day, but I'm very happy to be here um, with you. And well, unfortunately, not Noah. Uh, Noah's not available for this, unfortunately. But we do have a special returning guest. He is the host of the Pod to Be You. It's Manish Mather. Hello, Manish. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's always great to have you. You know, I feel like it's it's sort of for me, it's become like a regular thing at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, you're the unofficial fourth co-host of the show. Oh my God, yeah, it really does nice. feel like that. very exciting. <laughs> well, Manish has joined us today to discuss a film that just came out not too long ago that we talked about actually on our fall movie preview, The Woman King, which of course is the next film from Gina Prince Bythewood. We've talked about her previous films of this, The Old Guard, on this podcast as well. So we'll be getting into all of that. But before we do, we like to start with our full disclosure segment. This is where we talk about recent things we've been watching. They can be movies. They can be TV. They can be just about anything um, apart from our featured review. So, Manish, what has been good for you recently? So I just saw the re-release of Avatar. Um it's playing in uh, IMAX 3D and I also Dolby 3D, so I saw it in IMAX. It was quite the experience. Um, I, you know, I saw Avatar many, many times in theaters, and I've seen it on DVD and Blu-ray and on a plane um, ever since. Uh, so definitely not a movie that I'm not familiar with, but uh, seeing it on IMAX again in the same theater where I saw it the first time in IMAX, you know, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, it was just like, wow, a lot of those memories came like flooding back, you know, like I remember a lot of Avatar, but there's a lot that I had forgotten. And um, just, you know, because like, when I watch it on like TV and stuff, like you have to pay attention to it. And um, but just, yeah, being there in that auditorium, uh, it was just really, really exciting um, just because. Uh, it looked better than I remember it looking. It was fun to see with an audience. It was just, you know, it's such a vibrant movie. Such a, it's such an exciting film. So yeah, that was kind of, you know, uh, a really exciting watch for me. Um, I'm trying to see if I can catch it in the Dolby Auditorium because I've heard it's in high frame rate, and you know, of course, the Dolby has the um this is the like the rumble effect so i'm gonna see that but it is like a you know a a three hour experience so i'm not sure if i'll be able to do that again um this week but i'm gonna try uh just because i i want to experience it in that um in that format as well so that's yeah that's kind of like what i've been buzzing about last two days (laughs) i'm i'm curious for uh just because I know that there was the whole, you know, announcement about the re-release and I'm seeing it in theaters again. What was the, like, was there a lot of, were there like a lot of people there? Like, how was the crowd? Yeah, well, I had heard that, like, the evening showings are really crowded. Um, 
for me, I saw it about like two o'clock on a Saturday, and it was like around like forty percent full, fifty percent full. Um, I mean, that IMAX Auditorium is hardly ever like that full, just because I think people don't like they just choose in their showing rather than sit in like the first two or three rows, because like you know you do like hurt your neck. But it was pretty, it was pretty crowded. Um, it was a good audience. You know, they cheered for Nicole Kidman uh, during the AMC ad. And uh, that's how you know that, you're in good hands. That's how you know you're in good hands. And I was like, you know, I should have known that the Avatar head seeing it in IMAX 3D would appreciate Nicole Kidman. Um, people like were like laughing and clapping throughout the film. And at the end, you know, everyone applauded. And then they also applauded during the um, the preview footage for The Way of Water, which was uh, really fun to watch as well. Um, and, uh, they, uh, so yeah, they, they were a good audience. Um, it was, it was full. I mean, I, I think I had just read that, like, the re-release was really successful, um, box office-wise this weekend. So, I think there's definitely a lot of demand for it. Um, and I, it's, it's only for one more week. Um, I think they're going to lose the Dolby Auditoriums to Smile, at least the AMC theaters. And then I think IMAX, um, it'll play in IMAX for one more week. I'm like a, a regular visitor to the AMC A-List subreddit, so I know all the gossip about what, what's coming and going from AMC theaters. But like, you know, as someone that goes to see movies like, you know, twice a week, you really have to pay attention because like things come and go from the premium formats all the time. Yeah, and it's such a, the Dolby experience is such a better experience than the other, like, just a regular uh, theater, so. Yeah, I yeah, like, I I can't, if a movie's playing in Dolby, I try my absolute hardest to see it there rather than a regular auditorium. Yeah, and of course, uh, you'll be returning to discuss the sequel with us, and uh, so that should be fun. I It's been so long since I've seen the original, to be honest, like, I'd be curious to see what I think now, but. I, I do remember one of the, like one of the things I really did enjoy about it when I saw it a couple of times I think was the creature design <laughs> like that yeah. was something that really like that is like you know that's like very nostalgic for me I was always into like bestiaries and that sort of thing and the fact that they got um, an artist who I've mentioned before on this show I believe Wayne Barlow to help like was like a consultant on a lot of that I'm like oh yeah that shows like I know I was very familiar with his work and to see it like in this major blockbuster was like kind of a dream come true for me um but yeah yeah, I'm curious to see you know I'd be curious to rewatch it and also to see what the sequel um has in store for us yeah I mean you know one thing that I think has aged extremely well with Avatar is that the um the world building is really intricate you know, I think James Cameron and his team did a really amazing job of not only like building this world like through its VFX, but also just like trying to like really crafting a mythology and and world building that feels unique and different and um, you know very um, very much of its own. You know, it's it's it has its own personality and. Um, I think the creature designs are all really interesting and, um, you know, really, really fun to watch. So I think that has aged the best. It's just, like, we don't see this kind of, like, world building, you know, like, like top to bottom world building um, that much anymore. So it's really, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I, I really recommend uh, 
you both to, to try to see the re-release if you can, because really worth, I think, the, the experience. Yeah, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to get to it, but I definitely want to at least rewatch it on Disney+. Plus. I know, interestingly enough, Disney pulled it from Disney+, Plus while this re-release is happening in theaters, uh, trying to get people like me to actually go to the theater to watch it again. But I'm not sure if I have the time to do it on such a short uh, time frame that they're releasing it in. I feel like it's crazy. If they really... If they had given it a full month, I think it probably would have done pretty good business for the whole month, given what else is out there right now. There's not really another big, uh, you know, effects-driven franchise film. Uh, I guess maybe they're worried about Black Adam in early October, but I don't think they should be. (laughs) Well, I think it's not just, I mean, uh, I don't think it's like worrying about competing with them, but I just think that, like, the screens are booked. Yeah. You know? So, uh, I mean, at first I was, like, kind of curious as to, like, why this is coming out almost, like, three months before the first Avatar. One, I think, is just that, like, this is just a weekend with, like, not a lot playing. Like, I think Don't Worry Darling is taking up a lot of the premium screens. Like, it's playing in Dolby as well. So there's that. Um, And then I just think it's kind of, aside from that, it's kind of an, an empty time. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'd rather see Avatar again than Black Adam, but, you know, I think uh, I think D- I think uh, Warner Brothers is trying to, um, I-, I think they, they're trying to hold on to those premium formats as well, so. It's kind of, it's kind of like the unofficial kickoff of the Avatar 2 press tour, right? We got the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be, it's going to be an interesting couple of months, you know, with Avatar talk coming back. We'll see how that goes. It's already a mess. <laughs> As is all everything on yeah. Twitter these days. <laughs> exactly. Well, since Alex, you haven't been spending the time look uh, getting getting a chance to see the Avatar re-release. What have you been watching? Yeah, so I chose to be a bad film uh, viewer and stay home and watch something on Netflix. Oh no! Um, but this is—that's because one of the films that uh, was I was very much looking forward to in our fall um, preview episode uh, came out, uh, and I was like, "Oh, I actually have a free two hours uh, on a on a weeknight. Let me go watch this movie." And so I did. And the movie is *Do Revenge*, which is uh, Jennifer Cat uh, Robinson's latest directorial effort she wrote it with celeste ballard uh and uh, we actually reviewed her first film uh something uh something great uh a couple of years ago on this podcast uh, a fun rom-com this is going for something a little bit different um it's kind of trying to be the heir apparent to heathers and clueless and mean girls before it and i think honestly it really lived up to those expectations as far as i'm concerned uh, it's. I feel like I maybe like this the most of anybody in in the world, at least according to Letterboxd. Uh, but I really loved it. I thought it was a great fun time. It stars Camila Mendez from uh, Riverdale and Maya Hawk from Stranger Things, so really like nailing the teen TV show demo. Um, and they basically are a group, a, a duo of uh, unlikely uh, strangers who become friends after their lives have been kind of destroyed by. Uh, various people um, and they find out that they're going to the same school together this year, their senior year. So it's a very kind of like preppy sort of uh, exclusive private school. Um, And so they decide to team up to to execute revenge plots on the people who have wronged them. 
And it's a lot of fun. It's really, it, it has a lot more twists and turns than I was expecting. I think Maya Hawk is genuinely incredible. I love her on Stranger Things. She's next level good here. Uh, if you haven't been watching Stranger Things, really good showcase for what she can do as an actress. Um, also, Austin Abrams, who I'm, I've been a big fan of for a while. He had kind of a small but meaningful guest spot on the Americans uh, in their final season a number of years ago, and he's a supporting actor on Euphoria, which is a really big show right now. He's he's here basically as uh, Camila Mendez's character's ex-boyfriend who sort of leaked her uh, her her sexting uh, video that she made for him at at his request, uh, and so she, he is the target of of uh, who Maya Hawk is trying to help get revenge uh, on, and he is basically doing a timothy chalamet impression for 90 minutes and it is so excellent and so perfect and i just didn't realize that you could weaponize his persona to such a scathing degree but he absolutely does and as a longtime timothy chalamet fan i just was like that is so excellent and perfect uh but this the movie is a lot of really great actors a lot of people who if you watch teen uh dramas uh, like I sometimes do, uh, you, you'll notice their face, if not their name, like Ashley Bow, who was on um, uh, this uh, terrible suicide show that I'm forgetting the name of, um, but where, like, the girl uh, who, like, made a tape about why uh, she killed herself and sent it to all of the people who she felt um, pushed her to 13 it. 13 Reasons Why? 13 Reasons Why, yeah, that's right. I always get that confused with Eight Simple Rules, which is obviously a very different show. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but she's really good on that show, and she's really good here as sort of uh, her uh, Camila Mendez's uh, former best friend, who is now dating her ex-boyfriend. Um, and then there's also uh, Ava Capri, who, uh, if you watched the second and third season of Love Victor, uh, she plays a, a fun love interest on that show. She's here as sort of the person that um, Maya Hawke's character is ostensibly trying to get revenge on that uh, Camila Mendez helps her out and it's just really fun it's so like the the color the costumes the set design is excellent it has a really great uh fluency with like montage and like it moves fast it really gets into the nitty-gritty of these characters experiences and uh is a really fun ride and like I said a lot of twists and turns that you don't necessarily expect so I really liked it uh it's a really great cast really great script and i strongly recommend people checking it out yeah i can't wait uh that's definitely one i'm going to be catching up with um with many other hundreds of things probably at this point um but yeah (laughs) i'm i'm really i saw that you really liked it and that that definitely made me excited and um you know not being a fan of stranger things i don't have a ton of reference for maya hawk um apart from the one scene in Fear Street 94 where she's killed in, like, the first scene. <laughs> so I'm, like, really, really. curious to see, like, what she can do, especially being very familiar with her famous parents. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely... I'm, like, I really want to force you to watch this movie, if only, so you could get to experience Maya Hawk at her full uh, powers, at least so far, because I would never make you sit through all of Stranger Things. Uh, but you are missing out on a very promising uh, career by Maya Hawk, so this is a great showcase for her. And also, like, it's just a great young cast. Like, everybody involved, even, like, uh, Rish Shah is in there as a supporting character. He is Cameron on Miss Marvel. So if you've seen Miss Marvel, he's, oh. he's kind of the secondary antagonist, maybe boyfriend 
for Miss Marvel. Uh, Talia Ryder is there, who has a very fun arc on the Gilded Age uh, right now, uh, where she plays Carrie Coon's uh, daughter, who just wants to be part of high society, but Carrie Coon is not letting her come out yet, and that's basically her entire arc for the full season of that show, (laughs) a show where infamously nothing happens. So yeah, it's a really talented group of actors and a really fun script and uh and it's 90 minutes long so you could definitely do worse i'd expect nothing less from julian fellows um <laughs> <laughs> wow is this that's... is this on your radar manish yeah i uh i have heard of it i've heard really good things about it um excited to watch it i was gonna i um my uh my boyfriend came over um, this past Friday, and I was like, "Oh, we should watch this movie, Do Revenge. Like, it looks really cute. You, I think you might like it." He's like, "Oh yeah, I saw that like a week ago," and I'm like, uh, <laughs> "You're seeing movies before me? Like, that's crazy." Because he's like not really a movie person, but um, I guess like it's really I guess broken through to like, you know, I'm sure it's on the Netflix homepages. So I'm gonna check it out eventually because I I really want to watch it. I just got a little like. Uh, <laughs> deflated because i'm like oh this would be fun for us to watch together he's like i've already seen it but <laughs> um but yeah so no i i'm really i'm excited to watch it um you know i i do think it's interesting when you know, i this is not really like i don't this is like a whole new topic for like a whole new episode but you know like hearing that like the actors are from like riverdale and stranger things i'm kind of like are we now having this like new like Netflix stable of actors? You know, no, I know Riverdale isn't a Netflix show, but like it became popular on Netflix. I feel like, so I don't know. It's just yeah. something I think about when it's like, you know, actors who are like always appearing on like ne- in like Netflix properties. You know, um, if that's yeah. like a part, like I don't know if that's like a part of the um, like casting decisions because I have my suspicions around like. You know, does like Netflix kind of create content that to like turn into like memes, which mm-hmm. I think got disproven when they like turned off their screenshot thing. So maybe maybe they don't, but I do wonder about stuff like that just because like, you know, they are trying to become their own like entertainment uh, center. But not to like throw this whole on a tangent, it was just some just something I, I was thinking about. Yeah, well, and when you watch this, it's like it's so filled with people that you know that you're. It feels like they're really. My sense is that this was probably just a really popular script and everybody wanted to be on the project because sure, sure. it seems like they got their first choice on everybody. Like yeah. they even have Sophie Turner pop up from Game of Thrones. And oh yeah, I saw that a very online. fun That's cameo. Really yeah. yeah, she's really getting to uh, overact uh, in ways that she never got to on Game of Thrones. She looked like she was on a lot of fun. And Sarah Michelle Gellar, I forgot to mention, is the headmistress of uh, the, the high school. And she oh, definitely, wow. it's like they clearly shot like all of her scenes in a single day. Uh, but that, but she's, she's great. And it's fun to see her back some, giving I wisdom to teen girls. Yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, I definitely look forward to seeing that. Um I have something a little bit different for my pick. It's a surprise, surprise, a 2021 film. Uh, <laughs> is it sad and obscure and uh, foreign release? <laughs> is definitely the latter two. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is by a filmmaker who has gained a lot more prominence uh, since it initially came out because his other film actually won Best Foreign Language Film at the 20, well, 2022 Oscars for the film year 2021 um, which, of course, was Drive My Car, uh, Rusuke Hamaguchi. I ended up seeing his other film from 2021, which is called Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy. And 
I gotta say, I've seen both, and I and I I love drive my car, but this film for some reason I just it just gets me on a much more personal level. I really love this. This is gonna be in my top ten, no like no question. Um, and I think what I like what's interesting about it, a little bit different from something like drive my car is that it's a triptych. You've got these three different stories, basically like an anthology film with some similar themes, um, but still very much separate stories with maybe the sort of one recurring element being that these are all about relationships that were and relationships that cannot be, um, which is something I really relate to on a personal level. Um, so I think that might be a reason why I connected so much with me. Um, and without spoiling too much, I will also say that all three of these stories involve some sort of role playing that in the process ends up revealing actual truths about the characters. And I think what I really love about like he does this in Drive My Car as well, but it really hit me here. One thing he, he likes doing is these really um, intricate long takes that really lets you hone in on a conversation and he'll find the exact right moment to break away from it with like an intimate close-up and it's for me it's like this this way of shocking us out of this this comfort of of a deep conversation or even like a revelation about our lives and i think it's a reminder that no matter what (laughs) revelations or discoveries we make in the moment at the end of the day we still have to live with ourselves (laughs) and we still need to move on and I think he just he captures that visually, even as the conversations themselves through the dialogue is is also contributing to that. And I just think it's really like it's just really smartly done. I don't think either could exist without the other. Like there's a reason these are films, even though so much of it is dialogue driven. Um, and I just think anyone who saw if especially if you really liked Drive My Car, I think you would really love this movie. I think it's it's definitely like something that. I feel like got lost in the shuffle of 2021 and it's a real shame because I think it's a really special film. And how did you watch this? Is it available on streaming or did you have to rent it? Uh, This was on Canopy. I was surprised to see. Yeah. Okay. So Mm -hmm. if you have your library card, you can watch. That's, that's, that's how I catch up with a lot of obscure foreign releases. (laughs) So are you, uh, are you familiar with this film at all, Manish? Um, I've heard of it. Uh, I think it is or it was on my uh, Criterion Channel uh, list. Uh, I want to watch it. I, I really liked Drive My Car when it came out. I mean, I wasn't as, um, you know, it wasn't as like over the moon for it as everyone else seemed to be, but I enjoyed it. And I, I thought the premise, as you described, sounds really interesting. So it's, you know, it's going to, I do want to watch it. Uh, I think I, I'll have to make that a priority at some point. Yeah, I would, I definitely think it's worth it. And I was just surprised how absorbing all three of these stories are. Yeah, yeah. I think hearing that it's a triptych really intrigues me. Because uh, it feels, I don't know. I, I I wouldn't expect that to be, like, the other release from the John McCarr director. You know, it's kind of a, uh, kind of, and uh, hearing about, about it being, like, role-playing, that sounds really cool, too. So I'm, I'm excited yeah. to watch it. And I know I've heard from certain, like I've read certain reviews of it, and a lot of people seem to like the second one a lot. I'm a sucker for the third one, which is probably the most role-playing of the three of them. Yeah. And that might be a part of the reason, but um, yeah. And also, I I don't think I mentioned this, but all three of these stories are female-centric, which is a nice, for me, it was a nice change of pace from from Drive My Car 
um, which does have a little bit of that, but this one felt like much more focused on that. It was kind of a nice change, <laughs> very refreshing. Uh, we're going to be talking about The Woman King, which is the latest film from Gina Prince-Bythewood. Uh, this was a long time coming. I know that when I first heard the premise of this, I'm like, oh, this is I'm so glad this is happening. Why has no one made a movie of this before? And then I thought about it for like another second. I was like, oh, right. Uh, so I'm really happy we're getting this now. Um, and I kind of just want to hear like our initial reactions to it. I know like for me, uh, you know, not maybe I'm revealing too much, but I did just see this not too long ago. <laughs> so this is, as they say, I'm film on film spotting a still processing review, at least for me. <laughs> um, but uh, Manish, I think we'll start with you. What how did you feel about this? Uh, how did you feel about this movie? Yeah, I was. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I liked it a lot. I think, um, you know, when the uh, when the uh, trailer started to play, I was like, okay, this looks interesting. Like, of course, you know, I love Gina Prince Bythewood, love Viola Davis, um, but it really wasn't until like the reviews were coming out of the festivals that it really like shot to like the top of uh, my watch list because, you know, the reviews seemed to be like rapturous especially from a lot of people that i really respect and admire like you know david sims he was like a, a major um uh, a, a major like a uh, critic giving a claim to the film so um yeah i, I think it, it really it really sparked my interest that you know this movie was being called like a, a crowd-pleasing action blockbuster for some reason I, th- I thought the movie would have like some action in it but mostly a you know, um, a more like intimate kind of historical drama. But yeah, seeing the film, like oh, I saw this in, in the Dolby Auditorium, and it was so it was it was really exciting. It was really um, it was riveting. I thought the movie was a lot funnier than I thought it was going to be. It had some really great action. The entire cast was really compelling and engaging, and the movie looked beautiful. You know, it was shot on location, which is really exciting. Um, it just like felt very. It felt like a throwback to like old school historical epics, um, in a really good way. And this reminds me of like the kind of thrill of watching a movie like The Last of the Mohicans and Gladiator and you know and Ben Hur and stuff like that. So it was really, um, yeah, it really lived up to the hype as being this like crowd pleasing action epic. Yeah. What about for you, Alex? How did you? How did you? What was your reaction to this? Yeah, basically everything Amish said, I would say as well. <laughs> I think when we when we covered this on the uh, on the fall preview episode, it definitely was right at the top of my list for things that I was looking forward to for September. But I did have some reservation on that just because the September release made me feel a little bit nervous. Like, are they releasing this ahead of Oscars, like just before the fall film season because they're not confident in it? And is that on the studio or is that on the film? It looks like, uh, unsurprisingly, as, and Noah did suggest maybe that it was, you know, uh, we shouldn't read too much into that because studios make uh, decisions for bad reasons uh, when it comes to this. And uh, certainly seems like that was the case because this movie's great. It's fun. It got one of the only the, there's only there's only been two uh, films this year that have gotten an A plus cinema score. Uh, it's this movie and it's Top Gun Maverick. And uh, 
you know, of course, uh, <laughs> I don't think anyone on this podcast is the biggest Top Gun Maverick fan. Um, we are definitely dissenters among all of America on that one. But oh, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's nice to see that, uh, you know, the public is behind this film, at least. You know, it, it well overperformed uh, at the box office last weekend. It seems to be having pretty good legs this weekend as well, which is really great to see. And, uh, yeah, I completely see why. It's It's basically like... It feels like the sort of movie that used to come out like once a year and we haven't really gotten many in a while. Um, It has just the right balance of action and emotion and historical drama. It just kind of is like this great relationship movie. It it feels like a great ensemble with with, you know, scene stealing, supporting roles anchored with really powerful uh, lead performances. And uh, it just feels like there's something for everyone in this movie. And I'm so glad that I watched it. It's definitely one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, And, uh, you know, as a big Gina Prince-Bythewood fan, it's really right up there at the very near the top of her uh, filmography for me. Oh, cool. Yeah. And I I know you I remember you watching all of her previous films. So that's quite a high compliment to to hear that. Yeah. Two two years. I mean, I was a fan of hers from Love and Basketball and from Beyond the Lights. And then Blank Check uh, decided to cover that to cover her entire filmography uh, about two years ago. And so I rewatched the ones that I had seen and I watched uh, the few that I hadn't. And uh, it just made me even more of a fan of her work. Uh, and I think that it was all leading up to this because, yeah, I, I love this movie. It's fantastic. And I'm bummed that Noah can't be on this podcast because I am certain that he would love this, too. It feels like the the combination of all of the things that he likes uh, in a movie absent uh anime animation if it was animated that would be the only thing that would have made this better for noah (laughs) yeah right um yeah i you know i i have to say like just i was surprised when i went into the theater and it seemed like i mean at least to me maybe it's just the time i was going i'm i've i've been seeing a lot of films like early friday afternoon um and this time I was like seeing something on a Sunday and like I actually like had to sit next to other people. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, God, I'm so was, sorry for you. That was a change. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, you know, uh, and so I'm pr- probably the only person in the, in the theater with a mask on anyway. Um, but it really seemed to be the thing that was really working for the crowd. And I mean, and I should be clear, it was working for me as well, too. And I like, Manish, that you mentioned it was funny because I definitely had that reaction watching. Like, oh, wow, that's like a good joke, <laughs> like just in the midst of this. Um, yeah, I just I thought this was I think the thing that surprised me was uh, I really enjoyed the action. But I was surprised how much of it is just like people talking in rooms by torchlight. <laughs> and yeah. Um, AKA the best thing that you could possibly do in a film. <laughs> well, and especially can I can we just say how good the production design is here? Because like yeah. it's you know if you're going to be talking about some pretty heavy <laughs> heavy subject matter, you might as well have like a beautiful backdrop in which to do it. But yeah, I just I was kind of sw- I got swept up in it, um, and I also just really appreciated how it was a smaller scale than I expected. Like, but not like not small, because even compared to something like the old guard, I think this is a much bigger production than that. Um, but still, like, still feels like manageable. Like it, it doesn't feel like things are getting lost as a result. Um, like even like the really big battle that we get in the midst of the of the Oyo um, encampment, I think 
even that feels like it's still like somewhat manageable. It still makes sense. Like you still have a sense of like how many players are need are on each side. So it didn't feel like things were getting lost as a result. So I really appreciated the smaller scale. Um, and it just felt like a much more um, impactful, I, I, just in terms of how it was able to balance the action for me and also the drama. And also just, I, I, I want to echo what Alex was saying about the supporting roles, because I was really, I'd heard really good things, especially about Lashana Lynch and Boy, did she not disappoint. <laughs> right. She's <laughs> because so great. Yeah. The, the thing she does with her face in this, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever seen her get the chance to do a lot of this stuff. And it's just like, it's a lot of it is really funny. And yet um, there's a moment toward the end where you really see her um, truly fearful. And it's very jarring to see, just given the persona that she's been able to project up to that point. Um, so, yeah, just... Just really good stuff across the board with a lot of performers I've enjoyed in, in other things. And it was great to see them do something a little bit different here. Um, and that's everyone, Davis to Thusu Mbedu and um, Sheila Adam, who I feel like has been popping up in more and more things recently. Like she had a small part in, in Multiverse of Madness, I remember. Yeah, I was actually, this is a, a small tangent, but I, what better yeah. time uh, <laughs> when we get to the multiverse. Um, I was listening to the Multiverse of Madness um, director's commentary uh, the other day. It was part of my prep for one of the other podcasts that I do. And they mentioned that her character actually had a had a, a meaningful subplot that got cut out. She was actually supposed to be a love interest for Wong in the film. Um, and, uh, that's why there is a couple of, there's, like, some remnants of it where, like, they exchange some glances, uh, at a couple of key moments before she sacrifices herself, uh, to destroy the book. And, uh, yeah, there was a, apparently they cut, like, three or four scenes where she actually was, you know, they had a kind of will-they-won't-they vibe to them, I guess. And I'm a little disappointed that we didn't get that. I get why they didn't, because, you know, they were trying to get to the multiverse stuff fast, so they cut, uh, I think, a number of things out of the Sanctum subplot in the first act of the film. And uh, But I'm really disappointed that we didn't get more of her in that movie, because I think she's such a fantastic performer here. She has, you know, one main uh, episode of the Barry Jenkins Underground Railroad, um, where she basically, she plays the protagonist's mother but we but she's mostly unseen for most of the series and then we get a uh, a final episode where we get her kind of front and center and she carries that whole episode and she's just like unbelievable in that in that episode of television like it's just it's basically like a a short film and she is just i mean it's horrific the things that she goes through but the acting is just like absolutely next level and i just love to get to see her here where it's it is it's not just some of the worst things that could ever happen to a person. It's like there's a lot of range of her experience here. She gets to be fun. She gets to be a trusted source of counsel. She gets to be an action scene. She gets a lot of different dimensions, and, and I was very happy to see that. Yeah, and, and I also just want to go back to something that you said, Manish, about it being kind of a throwback. Um, and actually, some of the films that you mentioned, like Last of the Mohicans, like I, I was thinking of that as I was watching. I was like, gosh, I feel like this is this feels like very like very good, like classical filmmaking. And then I was I was like, well, maybe, you know, maybe there's other things, you know, that I'm that I'm missing. Like maybe that wasn't a thing. Like maybe she was going with like 
old African epics or something. And then I saw like in interviews that Gina Prince Bythewood has like name dropped the Last Mohicans and Braveheart and Gladiator. I'm like, oh okay, I feel much better about <laughs> my my interpretation. But uh yeah, it but like done really I think there's like some little alterations too. Like there's a lot I mean there's a whole thing with the Viola Davis character and her experience and and kind of how she how she carries herself as a result mm-hmm. um, and the ultimate sort of revelation that she comes to, which feels like not something we would see in any of those movies. Um, so I guess I was curious for the both of you, was there anything that like really we've talked about how maybe this is kind of a throwback in a lot of ways were the things that surprise you or like little twists to that sort of, um, you know, genre or, or um, you know, type of film for you? Well, I guess if we're going to talk about this, it's fair to say, like, we're going to get into some spoilers at this point. Um, and one of the things that I'll say that surprised me until it happened, and then as and then as soon as it happened, I was like, oh, of course this happened, was the Lashana Lynch character's ultimate fate, right? I, like, I was not expecting her to be filling that role of the kind of sage, like, uh, mentor character who has to die in the beginning of the third act, so that way our character, or end of the second act, so our character can go on this journey alone right but it's like that is such a key part of any film like this you know this kind of like epic story um and I, as soon as it happened i was like oh of course of course that's who she that's what she's been doing this whole time so of course she would die um to fit within that genre uh but i compliment to her and to gina for just doing an excellent job of making us really really care and like about like her up until that point to make sure that that moment lands uh with the top amount of impact that it could um and i think the other the big the other big surprise for me um and this isn't really about the genre of film but just in terms of you know villa davis is one of the best actresses of her generation she's a titan of cinema uh, this film gives her so much to do, um, which was nice because they, the last time I saw her, she was uh, p- playing um, Amanda Waller on a on a iPad screen in um, Peacemaker. Uh, so I was very happy to see her get a chance to actually do something. <laughs> like, good, like good for you, cash those checks. But um, but it's nice to get her. But the thing that I'll say that was surprising is that Thuso Mbedu, who is excellent on the underground railroad she's actually the the star of that of that show um she's she's the anchor of it i I think that getting to see her kind of match viola davis like head to head uh throughout this film to the point where when you get that reveal that like it is actually her daughter like it feels totally earned and you can really see that likeness and that and that um that those com- that commonality that the that those two characters share like that like she's able to bring that and you know I, I think that it could be really intimidating to try to go shoulder to shoulder with an actress of her uh, a caliber and I think that uh, Thuso just completely rose to the challenge and was excellent throughout and like really stood as the as co-lead to this movie which was really uh, not something I was expecting going in yeah I totally agree I mean uh, to kind of answer your um, your first question, I think for me, what was really surprising was the way they handled the uh, like the romantic subplot. Just because I, you know, I feel like in these historical epics, there's always a, a romantic subplot, and it's um, I don't know. They usually like the uh, like I was kind of expecting, I guess, the um, 
the the guy uh, to act as some sort of savior or to betray her, like do something more dramatic. And uh, really, I felt like it was kind of a, a more of a low key kind of romantic subplot that um, you know, like he didn't uh, like betray her in like a, in like a majorly upsetting way, nor did he like save her or she didn't like run away with him or he didn't stay back with her. I felt just like they just like had this like fling, but they ultimately had to go back to their own, uh, to back to like where they each belonged. And, um, I I just thought that was kind of a a unique way to do that. Um, rather than make this like big, like metal, this like big, like, um, you know, like overwrought story of like, you know, betrayal and making choices. It was just like, you know, I just have to do what I have to do. And we had this experience and it was meaningful, but it, it, that's what it is. And uh, I thought that was, that was really, um, really clever. I mean, I guess like I was kind of picturing like the, like a worst case thing of like, oh, what did this like really um, empathetic, you know, white man from Europe comes and he's trying to like save these people. But I like the, the idea that, it's like this um, someone who's like from the from the kingdom who was taken or whose family was t- like or whose mother was taken and he's back and he's like feeling that like push and pull between like, well, where is he really from? Like, what is he really doing? Like and having to like have this experience where uh, and also like, you know, um, allowing uh, the Zumbedu's character to like and have this romance without it leading to some sort of like horrific end result you know where it's like oh you know this is why we don't let you know our soldiers fall in love you know it's just like it just felt more like um more naturalistic more um grounded more just like melancholy instead of like really dramatic and sensationalist yeah, I agree. I think that as soon as that element of the film was introduced, I kind of had my guard up because yeah. we've seen that sort of romantic subplot just go in a million different bad directions. And I feel like it's rare that it works well. Like either it, it's a character who gets ends up getting in the way to force kind of plot contrivances that yeah. can kind of take away from the film, uh, drawing out tension in ways that just don't really that distract from the main focus right right or the person turns like you said and ends up being uh, worse in some way that is sad or or traumatizing or crushing in some way and and yeah they just don't do that with this character they give him uh, like dignity throughout the film he is who he says who he comports himself to be he gets a bit of an arc in the sense that he kind of comes in with this terrible portuguese man uh <laughs> and yeah. then uh learns to 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 stop just uh you know being okay with him and and you know rebels against him at a certain point but he doesn't steal the center of the film at all he doesn't make that we don't have to make it about him it's just a couple of small moments that he gets he plays an important part that contributes to the story it doesn't for i thought for sure when viola davis's character was headed to the to, to the camp like to this town to rescue her and she had already been like kind of sold to the malik character that we were going to end up in a situation where like viola davis was going to misunderstand and feel betrayed and, and, right, and we don't get right. any of that like and, and yeah. it's like and 
And thank God, because that that's not what this story should be about. And I think that the people writing it and the people behind the camera just had a really clear sense of what story they were telling. And they were able to use this love interest in a way that amplified what they were doing instead of, you know, falling yeah, yeah. into I mean, a lot like, of those things. I was afraid that it was going to become this, like, Pocahontas-type narrative where... Mm-hmm you know, she, like, you know, sacrifices herself for him or something, or, like, goes with him to Europe or something awful. Yeah. And I'm like, thank God that it happened. And there was this, like, one line that, like, was really quick and, like, not really dwelled upon, but it, like, sent shivers down my spine is when um, the Portuguese man was like, you're lucky you're not up there on the block or something. And I was like, wow, yeah. like, this guy who's ostensibly you know, rich and, and wealthy and, like, privileged, his life could, like, you know, at the whim of some, like, angry white guy could just, his life could just get completely destroyed and find himself in the position of, like, you know, being sold off to someone, you know, and just, like, and the idea that, like, this friendship might be, like, seemingly equal, seemingly, you know, on, like, friendly terms could, like, you know, there's always that underlying of, like, literally if you make me mad i could like ruin your life and that like sent shivers down my spine it was it was a really nuanced and interesting moment that i'm kind of glad wasn't dwelled upon too much but was definitely put in there for a reason and i think that like again it's to the credit of the filmmakers that like all these themes can like really play out really in um in subtle ways and in ways that don't feel overwrought or overly you know, theatrical, but still have this, like, ginormous, like, gigantic uh, impact. Yeah, I fully agree. Like, yeah. and another, and, and I feel like Gina does that with some of the images that she focuses on as well. Just, like, when they when they raid the port town and, you know, uh, Viola Davis's character makes the proclamation to burn it to the ground, the thing that they, that Gina chooses to focus on is one of the characters lighting the auction block on on fire and that's such an evocative like visual image of rebellion and then it ends up playing in the background of several other scenes and it just has this really strong impact in a way that i think just buildings burning wouldn't necessarily hit the same way it's just like such a smart choice to make that be the moment that you kind of wait an extra beat and actually like make a moment out of and i really liked that choice Yeah, and she really holds on that. Like, it was, like, actually a little bit jarring, like, in that moment, because I'm like, oh, wow, we're really spending. And the way that, like, that particular soldier, and it's a male soldier who's who's, um, kind of, like, rolling the torch along it so that it kind of spreads. And then when he's done, he just throws it. I just love that. Just, like, the ultimate F.U. at the end. Um, But, yeah, I just, that that was a really cool, and that's, that's what I love about, you know, like, when you when the filmmaking is is good you have that kind of dynamic where you the the scenes can certain scenes can really stand out um when you make a different choice um and uh and yeah i and just to get back to the other character malik who we've been talking about like i just thought i like that his moments seem they were somewhat crucial but also small in the grand scheme of things right like his sort of act of rebellion he's not like toppling you know western imperialism by any means it's just this like little moan of like okay in this in this moment i'm making this choice and there's no going back 
And it's and it's a nice it gives him a moment, but also it doesn't like make him a sort of savior character. He just has this little thing and he does he does have a moment. He does make a choice, you know, and and I and I kind of like that. I'd like that. It's this like kind of smaller thing. Yeah. And yeah, I fully agree. I also while we're on that character, I want to kind of last word on that is I also really like the way that they handle the parting of of his character and uh, Thuzum Duba's character, because like they just it's you know she's at a distance he's on the beach they have these kind of passing glances at each other where and they have this moment of really real acceptance and appreciation and like they it it really it's so it's all unspoken but between the two actors you really get the sense of it's these people are acknowledging the connection that they have grateful for the role that each of them has played in 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 enhancing their own lives and also accepting of the fact that they're on different paths and they need to go their separate ways now and that's like it's just incre- i i'm always blown away when a film can can be can communicate all of that without any dialogue at all right we didn't need a big montage a big speech a big monologue where the two of them like have this like tear soaked goodbye that wouldn't be justice to who these characters are instead you just have it all kind of conveyed through through passing glances and you get everything that you need and it's so it's just so well done absolutely yeah, and I'll also just say another, I don't know if it was a surprise, but certainly maybe set it apart from some other historical epics for me, is just the way that the physicality of the actors changed based on the situation, um, particularly with, you know, I th- we have this kind of like very regimented um, group of, of soldiers, regardless of, of gender, really, you know, who, you know, you have to be hardened in order to live this life. And yet, like, a big part of it also is these moments of joy, right? Like, dancing and singing. Like, that seems to be also a part of this culture. And I feel like you usually get more of the former than the latter. And this is a film that really embraces both. Um, But also, what I like is that, and, and this is, I think, consistent for me when it comes to, you know, action heroes, action heroines, is... Not just that these people are highly competent and highly skilled in combat, but also that they can they're not they don't need to be stoic all the time, that they can show fear and that that's like actually part of what makes you root for them. And I think uh, just to get back to what I was saying earlier, like it was really fascinating for me to watch how a lot of these actors changed their physicality their expression in a given moment. I mean, we have someone like Viola Davis's character who is, you know, has probably seen everything when it comes to combat, like seeing her the way that she adjusts and is maybe not quite as uh, competent or she's she's much more emotional um, in the moment when she's facing off against her uh, former rapist. Uh, Like that is a very different and the the stakes in that scene seem are, are just like all of a sudden it's like this person that you trust to be so competent in her and what she does is almost like called into question a little bit. You're like, Oh, I don't, she's not like operating at full here. And I really liked how that kind of played in with, a, with a lot of different characters just based on the situation that they were in. Yeah, no, I, I totally, um, yeah, totally agree with you. Um, I also just want to bring up the, uh, like the the action scene in in the middle of the film when they attack like the opposing village or the uh, like the, the 
the, the I guess the slavers are uh, it was just a really impressive action scene. That was like really exciting, really intense, and um, I love that it was like in the daytime. Yes, uh, I love when action scenes are are in the day. And um, the the reason why I, I just thought of that is just like when talking about like the physicality, like this movie reminded me a lot of like you know like Wonder Woman and like Black Panther, like these two films that have like very um, like and like Mad Max, you know, Fury Road as well, which is like these like these like women on screen who are very powerful and very physical, and they, um, you know, it's all different like body types and and stuff, and you just like they're not objectified, they're not you know leered at. It's very much like it's like they're, you know, they're alluring and they're sexy and they're attractive, not because of like they're being sexualized, but just because they're just so impressive on screen and. Um, you know, like they really command it, and uh, I really liked. Um, you know, I liked that this movie had had that quality as well. And in terms of like the um, the like the like the, the, the dancing and stuff, again, it's like nice to see that like these women also have fun with each other. You know, it's not like they are just like um, self serious all the time. And they like, you know, like, again, like Lashana Lynch, you know, she's a standout in the film because she's playing that, like, you know, she's that, like, I don't know, like the Han Solo type, you know, mm-hmm. like, she's playing, you know, like, they have personalities and they have even Viola Davis for someone who is, you know, the very, the stoic leader, like, even she can, like, you know, she has that, like, vivacity to her as well. And um, it just, like, again like these women are all like mostly played by actors that we don't really know um especially like a lot of the the younger like the younger recruits but um they don't get lost in this ensemble they don't get um overshadowed by you know the two the two or three big bigger names in the film um instead it's very much you know they have personalities and like they're very distinct and they um can you know, they show fear, they show excitement, they show bravery, they show competence, they show weakness. It's very just, uh, again, all these all these characters are so, like, really well fleshed out. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And I think that the scene that Lashana and Thuzo have together where, you know, she, Thuzo is trying to explain to her that she has not come from an easy life and she's actually had to go through a lot of of, diff, of difficult things that um before this moment and Lashana says something along the lines of like you know we've we've all had enough terrible things that could make us cry but why not laugh instead and that you know there's a little bit of a cliche to a line like that but the way that Lashana Lynch delivers the line she just she, you see her kind of for a brief moment emotionally acknowledging the difficulty in her own past and then literally seeing her push through it to a point of of resolute joy uh just through her performance and it just it's just great it's just a great little piece of acting that is sort of a mission statement for the movie at least in some ways right like they do there's a reason why the last scene of the movie is not viola davis taking the crown as the woman king but of her dancing with her daughter during a during a, a celebration after the fact, right? Like these, this is about people 
and all of their emotional complexity and nuance. It's not just about fierce, resolute warriors, right? Like, I feel like this movie, I mean, it, it seems pretty clear that they're marketing this as sort of like the, uh, if Dora Milaje was like the real Dora Milaje from Black Panther, right? Um, and it certainly seems, based on reporting, that the fact that Black Panther came out and did so well really helped get this movie made as it was being trying to get made for a number of years prior to that, and they were really struggling to do so. So, I think that it's interesting, though, to contrast, like, in Black Panther, as much as I like that film, the Dora Milaje are definitely these characters that are stoic and resolute and don't really have a lot uh, more than that outside of maybe Okoye, who gets to have a little bit of an arc. But even still, like, you know, she gets to have a little bit of fun, but not so much, you know. Uh, Here, like, these women all get to be full women in everything that that means throughout the course of the film. And I think it makes you be more invested in them as people, and it makes you more invested in their story as a result. And and I think that that's important. So I really, I really like that they're able to do that in a way that feels honest, and it doesn't feel like they're leaning on kind of cliche or, or tr- like making it more of a feminine film or any of that kind of like nonsense. It just feels like they're people on screen, and they're and they're people that we are so instantly and and consistently invested in as a result. Yeah, I, th- I think what's really helped with that is just the fact that like, you know, Gina Prince Bythewood is you know a filmmaker who got her start with you know movies like Love and Basketball and The Secret Life of Bees and, you know, like, I mean, Love and Basketball especially is such a, you know, you know humanistic, um, really uh, just tender romance film. And, you know, she kind of cut her teeth with kind of creating characters who are powerful and strong and exciting, but also very, you know, grounded and, and and uh, relatable and um, charming and engaging and compelling and all that. So I think that like that she was able to like carry that into these action blockbusters like The Old Guard, which had the same quality as well. And um, and The Woman King, I think, is really a testament to, I think, the fact that like she is just so good at creating characters like these and putting them in more larger than life situations i mean i I know this is a historical epic but like the more like you know basically these are people that you know you feel like you might know even if they're you know living you know hundreds of years ago um i i just wanted to say uh, maybe speak a little more broadly about how great the action is in this (laughs) movie like even though i going into the movie it was pg-13 and i'd heard people say like it's actually very good like you know it's like kind of what you need to do if you're going to make something that is a pg-13 action movie and watching it i was like you know if you hadn't told me the rating i would have never guessed that because it's it's incredibly visceral like i would probably warn people (laughs) before i sent them to this movie to let them know that it's it's pretty intense a lot of it is close quarters um it is really well choreographed i also just like the i like the diversity of the weaponry and also how like for a lot of them it seems like sometimes it's tied to like their particular like physicality like i like that sheila adam who has this like a uh, incredible wingspan <laughs> like has this like kind of like spear type thing that she's using and just fending people off with it which i thought was was really cool there's also just this like really great like, if I want to pinpoint a scene of how great the action is, I would do her scene with LaShawna Lynch with the two of them with the spear. 
and we just like cut to them doing this thing <laughs> and and just the way that we kept we keep cutting between them sometimes their heads are both in the same shot and it's it looks really great um so yeah i just i i really was impressed by the action and how in like see quite a bit of blood <laughs> there's there's not um there's not a, a case at least for me where i was like oh that's obviously something they had to edit to make it pg-13 like it's it's very intense and and very well filmed and the action scene that you mentioned manish in, in that sort of encampment with the oyo um I, I thought especially there's a moment when this the score from terence blanchard which is really good here and very percussive um, and sometimes it's actually synced up with the with the fight sequences, like with like with a blow or something. You'll hear like a drum beat mm-hmm. on it. Um, that actually just will like she actually just like cuts that out for a little bit and just lets the action play out. And I was like, wow, that's and it didn't feel like it was drawing attention to itself. It just had an amazing effect. Um, yeah, like, just a real like, again, just created this sort of dynamic in, in that scene. Yeah, and I and I also I love the way in that scene like the dust kicks up so much, and so there's moments where you really get the sense of these of chaos, and also it also affords uh, a couple of really fun moments that feel out of just like a traditional action movie where you're getting these sort of like uh, movie star action moments where you get to have that spotlight on individual characters taking people out in cool ways and i feel like they integrate that really well into a a battle that feels you know more naturalistic overall i think that that's the sort of thing that could really take you out of a movie like this if you do it poorly and i think it's just like right on the razor's edge and they managed to execute it well and and i'm really curious because i had heard that um, this movie, it was filmed during kind of peak Omicron in South Africa, uh, which really hampered their ability to shoot these sorts of big action set pieces with lots of extras. And I wonder if, you know, part of the reason why they used the, the clouds of dust and stuff like that was to make it seem like there's uh, more people around without actually having there having to have more people be there, right? Um, but if that was a, a creative uh, choice of, you know, uh, practical filmmaking to solve practical problems uh it ended up making a great impact on the film regardless because i think it i think some of that those the imagery there is some of the best in the film yeah i especially like the call out for the of, of the death i thought that was really um really really smart and you know just you know i feel like a lot of what we're talking about it just feels like Gina Prince Bythewood is just really gearing up to become and becoming what if i think a, a it's just an incredible action filmmaker. I mean, I think between, you know, this, the old guard, and I think even her basketball direction in Love and Basketball, like, she's really, I think, just has a really keen visual eye. And I'm really, really excited to see kind of where she goes from here. I think she could only take this even, you know, even because she can go even higher. Or if she wants to scale back and do something more human and, low grounded and, and low key I, I would support that as well but i'm excited to see just how she continues to top herself um after this film yeah i i completely agree and i i will say you know we reviewed old guard when it came out two years ago on the podcast and mm-hmm. that was a movie i liked but maybe not as much as as the consensus uh mm-hmm. and 
I think that the action here is just, for me, a lot more memorable than the action in the Old Guard. I think there's a couple of sequences in the Old Guard where you're like, where I, I, I particularly sort of like when I, towards the end when they're kind of invading the the corporate headquarters or whatever. But I think here there's so much more interesting uh, yeah. compositions and things like that. And that's and like you said, I think that's really exciting because it feels like we're watching a, a filmmaker evolve and kind of get to kind of up the scale up this. St- I know that like Old Guard technically had a bigger budget than this, but it doesn't feel that way. This feels like a much more epic kind of action film than the Old Guard was. So that I, I'm which is maybe even more of a kind of compliment to her that she was able to do more with less, you know, but I'm really excited to see what she does next. I, I will say, uh, you know, a part of me is, is sad now having seen the two action movies that she's made, uh, recently that we didn't get to see that, um, black hat, uh, and silver. I, mean, Sable no, I was movie just thinking that, yeah, that Sony was had her working on forever. On the other hand, given Sony's track record of those Spider-Man spinoff movies, maybe I should be grateful that we didn't have to see her uh, be <laughs> in charge of the, that project. But um, yeah, I hope she gets to do something really excellent next because she's I definitely mean, earned the right. I I wonder if you know Marvel's Marvel's calling her, you know, again saying, hey. We might have a project for you in the MCU. I I feel like she would. I don't. I, I wonder. I wonder what she would say to that. I I don't know what her comics history is if she has one, but I'd be curious to see if there's maybe some kind of one-off franchise that she'd want to take over, James Gunn style. You know. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting. I mean, you know, we know Olivia Wilde is going to be directing a uh, Spider-Woman movie for Sony that is maybe a co-production with Marvel. We haven't really gotten clear reporting on that yet. Uh, but, you know, Olivia has been having a rough time lately. So uh, <laughs> just interesting that these two uh, movies are coming out at the same time. <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe if she wants to take a step back from that and uh, Gina wants to pick that up, that'd be cool. You know, we'll see. That's not. I'm not reporting anything. Obviously, I don't have that. No one has told me anything, but that would be fun if that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but speaking of people who may eventually be attached to Marvel things, but not at the moment, uh, we haven't spoken at all about John Boyega in this film, who plays the King Gezo, uh, who is, you know, the uh, non-woman king uh, in the in the picture. And uh, I'm curious, you know, what did you guys think about him? He's obviously a huge star. Uh, it's interesting, I think, to see him in this role where he gets he gets a lot of really big moments, but is definitely, you know, he's he's credited as and uh, John Boyega, and that feels perfect. But you know, uh, it's interesting to see him for me in this role, and I'm curious what you guys think. I I mean, I was surprised. I I was curious what kind of role he was going to play in the movie. And I kind of like how they did it because it was almost like there's always this tension of like, well, how much power does this guy really have? And like, what is he willing to sort of concede? And can he make it seem like his own choice or is he afraid of it? Maybe weakening his own stance. And I kind of like that that character seemed to be walking on that edge for a lot of it. Um, you know, and I was I guess I was I was kind of happy with how it turned out because it seemed like he had some on the one hand, he had some very progressive ideas. And on the other hand, he still wanted to be the guy in charge. He still wanted to be the guy calling the shots. Um, And I, I guess I also just liked his I like his casting in particular because he seems so much younger like than everybody else in a way where it's like 
but also he's still like a, a formidable presence. Like I just thought there was like a good balance there with with him and and also just you know I don't know if maybe it's playing into his sort of public persona um at, at least in in the movies that he's been in that have been seen by <laughs> by most people like the Star Wars movies for example um but you know I think that's also a case where it's like he's kind of you're still kind of trying to figure him out like is he how much power does he really have like how effective is he and I feel like that's something that this character really um, I felt like I was always asking that question with him, and I kind of like that about about the film. Yeah, he has kind of like a smooth political operator quality to him that just made me want to see him in that mode in other films in the future where he could maybe take center stage because that's not really something that I've seen before from him. He kind of he's more he's usually used as more of kind of an everyman sort of character, and he does that really well because he's so emotionally accessible to the audience. Uh, but I liked him in this mode, and I would like to see what he would be like, you know, in in maybe a political thriller or something like that moving forward. Yeah, no, I mean, I really, um, I, I really enjoyed his performance in this movie. I think he had um, a lot of, I think he brought a lot of like complexity to the character, and I think he was really, um, like, yeah, like has that like very like politician he and like especially his scenes with like the Portuguese um people and the sort of how he has to you know kind of play to like both sides of, of this conflict that he's found himself in and trying to figure out the right thing to do um yeah I, I thought he just really really did a great job and you know it was really good to see him in a role like this outside of sci-fi action fantasy i mean this is an action movie but like outside of sci-fi and fantasy um you know i really had only seen him in star wars and attack the block and you know maybe a couple other things i i think but um definitely this was like really cool to see him and i I thought he really held himself well against viola davis yeah absolutely i think this kind of like Another thing that I saw him in recently was the the Steve McQueen um, right, right. TV project, the Small Axe. He he kind of led one of those uh, short films, um, and but again, again in that one, it, he's <laughs> he's basically he's trying to integrate a local police department and having a really tough time of it. And I, I would say that political skills is not something that that character uh has unfortunately so again that that's just something that i really liked about him both definitely in that scene with um with the portuguese man who uh, we should note is played by hero finds tiffin who is uh, uh joseph and rafe's finds nephew uh interestingly enough um and and i think also in kind of like the end of the movie where he kind of he has this choice to make of am I going to reprimand uh, Viola Davis's character who has kind of come in as this disobeying him but nevertheless is a conquering hero or am I just going to find a way to on uh, like be quick on my feet and turn it into a victory for me and he chooses the latter and uh, I think that was a very entertaining moment that I, I didn't see coming and that was a fun way to end the film. You know I am curious um, you know what you both thought of the you know, twist that Naoi is Naniska's daughter. Um, I loved it because I felt like they were clearly supposed to be, like, she, this character felt like she was sh- shadowing and mirroring Viola Davis's character so much in the early part of the film that it felt like we were kind of 
taking in her as as the uh, if not literal daughter then daughter surrogate of mm-hmm. Viola Davis and I could see a situation where maybe it would be more sophisticated uh, and more realistic if it was if she was just filling that surrogate daughter role for the daughter that Viola Davis character lost and that emotional connection is there but it's not literally her daughter um, but I you know I mean deep down I love a soap opera and that was a fun soap opera flourish as far as I'm concerned <laughs> and you know there's a moment where uh, Sheila Adams character says like you know she couldn't possibly be your daughter the gods wouldn't be that cruel and I thought right away like I don't know that doesn't sound cruel to me at all it sounds like a a beautiful sort of like fate that these two would be reunited and be able to kind of make a cathartic piece for what was such a traumatizing moment and that ends up being what we get and so I was happy with it I I, what about you Justin I know you're less um fond of soap opera uh theatrics (laughs) in general yeah I feel like this was the kind of thing that sort of won me over by the end like because I had a similar thing like maybe it's going to be more like she thinks that it's a it's a thing, but it's actually not. And like you said, it's sort of the surrogate. She's filling the surrogate role. But I don't know. I feel like it was just played so earnestly. Like there's a real lot. Like there's a long time between when Viola Davis starts digging out the shark tooth from from Thuzumbedu's shoulder and when we actually see it in Thuzumbedu's hand. And I just thought for me it worked because the bond they they formed with each other. It wasn't just the biology of it. It was also the fact that they had this bond that they'd actually developed, like, apart from that. And that, I felt, was more just, like, a proof of that, I guess, in the in the way that the film worked. And just given the sort of throwback nature of the film, I think that also helped me accept it more. I think they did a really good job of, like, clearly outlining how Naoi is basically younger than Iska, and like the way that like she's very reckless and doesn't follow the rules and kind of obstinate. It's like I think they were setting up of like kind of like that um, that like code like military movie cliche of like oh like you remind me of me when I was that age and like you know um, basically Top Gun. You're like right, exactly. That's the plot of Dogon. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and then having it be the literal daughter, I think, is just the natural conclusion of that. And um, uh, yeah, it was uh, it, it was. I think they I think they did a really good job of, like setting it up, so it's not really that surprising. Um, I mean, it's surprising, but like it wasn't out of left field, I guess. Um, this is also the same twist in the Jennifer Lopez comedy second act. um and you know as a as a big fan of that film and someone that someone who thinks that that movie should be watched by many people is really excited it's really exciting to have this prestige action epic have the same twist maybe preparing Uh, a double feature for your film club in the near future of these two I, i mean look it's like yeah of course it has to be there um so yeah it was um that would be a fun double feature for people who well, haven't seen either Corolla. of the films. And, and then you could... Well, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> you this, could, is a, this is a good little film festival, you know, Absolutely. Daughters. And I, you could tell them, like, okay, these three films seem like they have nothing in common, <laughs> but by the end, you're going to know why I'm so, programming it. Yeah, exactly. And they'll have to try to guess between yeah. each of the movies. That would be fun. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, uh, incidentally, one, one, 
Oh, good. No, one thing that uh, we haven't really talked about at all, and I don't know if we're like the place that needs to talk about this, but it, it would be remiss not to at least bring it up, uh, is the fact that, you know, this film isn't just an action movie about characters. They do have something on their mind in terms of like colonialism and slavery and the role in which that was prep, like perpetrated by uh, tribes and to their own uh, detriment and all of that kind of conversation of like what is what is the impact of slavery in this community and how should it be used? It's enriching these these people's lives in a certain way, but it has this sort of insipid tale to it that feels, at least Viola Davis's character is trying to voice the idea that eventually it will come to everyone's collective ruin, um, even if it feels like we're protected. Obviously, there's a lot of kind of modern, um, you know, sentiments injected into the film. There's been somewhat of a controversy around the fact that, you know, this is based on a real character in King Gezo, but uh, and and the the tribe certainly did have this relationship with slavery. It's not really the case necessarily that they ended sla- the slave trade in this community at any point in time. Like the film kind of makes it seem so. People are kind of upset about that. Um, but I do think that it's it's interesting at least that this film really has is trying to be in dialogue with that idea. And I think reasonably well executed within the context of a film that has a lot of other stuff going on. Um, but I'm curious what you guys think about that. Do you think that they did a, a good job handling this topic? Do you think that they should have tried to stay away? Do you think that they should have tried to be more historically accurate as some of the critics are are hitting it with at this point in uh, the release cycle? I think for me, you have to look at uh, like what kind of movie is being made like, what is the intent of the film? And I think the intent of this film is to be a, you know, a rousing, crowd-pleasing action movie in the vein of movies like Gladiator and Braveheart and Last of the Weekends and, and stuff like that. So, you know, I those movies are not historically accurate. I think, you know, they want to be entertaining. They want to be inspiring. They want to have you know, strong themes and, and emotional resonance, but, you know, I don't think anyone is claiming for any of these movies that are going to be as accurate as a documentary or a textbook. So to me, it's like, you know, the true story is out there. You know, it's not like, you know, Prince Bythewood is going around saying, like, we're telling the truth. I mean, I think she and Viola Davis had both kind of come out and be like, yeah, a lot of this is fictionalized, but we had to do it in, within the confines of the kind of movie we were making. Um, and I think that's valid. Um, I've, of course, I'm never really one to get concerned about historical accuracy in movies just because, you know, like I said, the, the real story is out there for you to research and also, like, things have to be changed in order to fit artists, you know, to, in order to make a movie a movie. Um, so, I don't know, maybe that's a cop-out answer, but to me it's like, I don't really... Um, you know, I don't go to movies like this to be taught about something like this. I, I think the subject and the history is too complicated and too uh, too complicated and, and, and too troubling to really tell, like, within an, an Amer- American studio film. So enjoy the movie, do your own research, and I think you can separate the two. Yeah, I, I think I would I would echo that. Um, I thought it was handled reasonably well. I, I was actually surprised just how sort of matter of fact the the talk about it was in the beginning yeah. of the film especially 
Um, and there's also, I think there's a running implication through a lot of this that the slave trade that was perpetrated by, that was, um, that was undertaken by a lot of these tribes, like obviously did it benefited them? Yes. But also there's a sense of like, if they didn't do it, that there's not like, n- there's not necessarily, um, the, the kind of luc- it, it's, there's nothing really for them as lucrative and, uh, maybe their purpose served for these colonialists would would be served and that would maybe spell disaster um so and yeah and and i guess just also um you know we've we've talked a little bit about how thuso and Bedu's character is sort of like a, a younger version of the viola davis character but also i like that that character is very defiant and she's always about finding ways even though it seems like viola davis's character is fairly progressive within her um, you know, in her role and and within this society, like you've got the the scene of like Thusan Beto going back for her friend in the brambles, which I I won't I don't want to draw on that because that was that scene was very hard for me to watch. Don't like needles any or anything like that. Anyway, um, but I just thought it I thought that the the film um seemed to be always suggesting that there was a better way to do, even for the characters who were probably relative to some of the older guard um and i feel like that's consistent also with you know maybe more of what the film wants to do its aspirations than maybe what the actual reality was yeah i think that makes sense and i i i really echo a lot of what you said manish just the idea of like you know we have to take the film on its own terms and it does i don't think that it's what I will say is I kind of got wind of the controversy before watching the film and I was surprised by how much they actually do tackle the issue uh, head on. And it really is a point of conversation in the film. Like it is definitely a theme of the film. And while it is clearly not historically accurate in that way, I think that's okay. Like you said, like they're using this as an opportunity to discuss this, this historical uh, like event that occurred over the course of, thousands of years you know and with colonialism and slavery and how it interacted like this is they're they're allowing this setting to serve as that opportunity to have that discussion and and interrogate it and so even if it kind of ends on a triumphant note where it seems at least like john bow's character is going to add, you know end his relationship with the slavers uh which isn't necessarily accurate I think that they're really engaging with the question of slavery and trying to be, you know, um, trying to be honest about what that conversation was like back then and all of the complexity to it that can fit inside of a movie like this. And that's more than I expected, honestly, given what we were promised in the trailers and things like that. So I, I, I would say that uh, you know, this would never actually happen in the climate that we live in. But I do think that many of the people who are very upset about this film and trying to organize protests for it online would benefit from actually watching it because I don't think that they have. And if they did, I think they'd be surprised by the amount of nuance uh, in the conversation um, it, that is actually happening in the film. But, you know, that's not the world we currently live in. So <laughs> I don't have a lot of hope for that. Like I do, and I do think like there is room to be genuinely offended. I don't think that there, I don't think that everyone's opinion on this is, irras- is irrational. I, I, I think that there is 
I can I can respect some opinions coming out of that side of the conversation um, in terms of you know glory, the idea that like maybe if we're having this conversation we should be honest about the fact that these people weren't advocating for the end of slavery or we should you know choose a different story to tell that isn't uh, you know tied up in slavery if we want to talk about a story of Africa during this period because not all tribes were engaged in this sort of stuff. I, I, I completely respect that and I think that that's, that that's legitimate but I don't think that that had an, a bearing on this film for me at least and I think that the story that they're actually trying to tell is a, is a pretty sophisticated one uh, which features this as a, as a theme but a lot of other things going on as well that uh, I think are really laudable and respectable and I think that everyone would if if it turns out that four or five years from now this movie gets rolled in on a cart uh, into you know high school history classes, I don't think that that's necessarily the worst thing in the world, even if it's not <laughs> entirely accurate. Uh, yes, only time will tell <laughs> for that. <laughs> um, so I know we've uh, I guess to, at this point, did we want to share any closing thoughts on the film? Anything uh, that we didn't mention? I, for me, I just say like I'm very excited by Thuzo Mbedu. I'm I really excited to see what kind of career she has after this and and uh, the Underground Railroad. I'm really excited that Sheila Adam keeps popping up on in things. I'm really looking forward to see more of John Boyega's post Star Wars career. And it's just, so for me, it's really just you know it, this cast is so fantastic. Gina Prince Bythewood is so fantastic, and I'm really excited that they got to do this. And I hope that this opens doors to let them do even more cool things in the future. I mean, I did see that Lashana Lynch's next project is as Miss Honey in the uh, musical version of Matilda, uh, which is coming to Netflix this this Christmas. So hopefully that helps her cash a nice big check, I guess. Um, and we'll get to hear her sing, and that's cool. I, I don't know what her singing voice sounds like. But yeah, I hope she gets to do more stuff like this and less stuff like that moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, I just like have to, yeah, really, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I think it's, um, it's, uh, you know, I saw this movie with like, it was like around like, it was like a one o'clock show on a Saturday. Um, so it wasn't terribly full, but, uh, the people that were in the theater were really into it. And like, there was like a lot of like cheers and claps at the end. And, uh, it was, especially when Viola Davis's name came up in the credits, that was also a big thing. And, uh, you know, her entrance in the film, which I don't think we talked about, is just she's like rises from like the, the, the grass, <laughs> like as and it's like this total like movie star moment. And like uh, we talk about Top Gun Maverick, I think like her performance in this movie is kind of like the prestige version of like what Tom Cruise is doing, which is just like just playing on all of her strengths and kind of what we admire most about her. And. A lot of that is that she's just an incredibly versatile, textured actress. So, um, so she, you know, these moments come with such like gravitas and, and power and confidence and you know, alluring and and so it's just a, yeah. I mean, this movie's just incredible. It's it's a lot of fun. It's really it's emotional. It has a really great score. It looks beautiful. You know, it's shot in South Africa, so it just looks real. It looks tangible. Um, and uh yeah it's just it's just it's an exciting time and and i really can't recommend it enough yeah and and i'll just say you know as much as i've lauded 
uh, Prince Bythewood as an action director. I would love to see her do like more historical epics in general. Like I think like you mentioned, Manish, like the tangibility of it. Like that's something that that's one of the things I love about historical epics. And I feel like she would do a really good job with that. Um, and just like balancing very different character dynamics. Like there's just a, there's a lot of great sort of like showdowns <laughs> in this movie between characters that have nothing to do with combat. Um, and, you know, characters were just like dropping their veil unexpectedly. Like, you know, I just think she handles all that stuff really well. And I would love to see that applied to other things. Doesn't, you know, doesn't have to be historical. It could be modern day. But I just think like I'd like to I guess I'd like to see her do like work on a big canvas because I think that, you know, I think she's really proven herself at this point that she's capable of it. She's only made six movies since the year 2000. Like, I think we just want to see her do more things in general because she's so capable of doing all of the things that she's been asked to do so far. And I just want to keep seeing her do more things. Yeah. <laughs> more, please. Yeah, that's, uh, that, sounds, that sounds like a good way to go. All right. Well, let's talk about where we can find everybody online. Uh, I think I'll start with our guest, Manish. Where's the best place to find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Vertigay314. That's V-E-R-T-I-G-A-Y 314. Also, um, I host a podcast called It Pod to Be You, which is about romance films. I, I recently just had Alex back on the show to talk about the masterpiece In the Mood for Love, which is a really great episode. So you can find that pretty much anywhere you can find your podcast. Yes, thanks for having me on. That was so fun to talk about. Justin, I really hope that you rewatch uh, In the Mood for Love and then listen to our discussion. But maybe listen to our discussion first and it will encourage you to give it a second chance. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, it actually would be a third chance, believe it or not. (laughs) (laughs) Manish is a bit of a skeptic also. So a lot of the conversation was kind of me explaining to Vinish why it's a good movie um, in a very polite <laughs> way. So <laughs> I think I won him yeah. over, right, Manish? <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, yeah, you were not, you were not a jerk about it. So I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Never, not when I go on other people's podcasts. <laughs> it's just to Noah. Let's be honest. Oh, <laughs> where can we find Noah's stuff, Justin? Since he's not here to plug. <laughs> Well, uh, you can find Noah's stuff uh, on francenoir.blogspot.com. That is his website. Uh, you can read his Star Wars novel. I need to get on that one of these days. <laughs> and uh, you can also find him on Twitter at Noah France. Um, and as for me, you can find my work at thecinemaverick.com. I'm also on Letterboxd at the Cinemaverick. Uh, and uh, yeah, and I currently am working on my best of 2021 <laughs> stuff uh which is earlier than i typically do when i actually publish it that's another question uh but that is coming at some point so i will announce it on here when that happens um but how about you alex where can we find you so many places uh you can follow my uh you can follow me on twitter at media thinkings that's a good place to find all of my links and podcast uh good stuff uh over there you can follow my uh, Letterboxd, Media Thinking's on Letterboxd as well, where you could see my full ranking of all of the films of Gina Prince-Bythewood and many other rankings. As you know, I do like rankings. Uh, you can follow my TV podcast for PopBreak.com. Uh, you can subscribe to PopBreak TV, listen to TV Break, which comes out uh, the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, this month, uh, coming up, we're going to be reviewing Kid Cudi's new animated series for Netflix called Enter Galactic, co-starring many 
people, including my beloved and aforementioned Timothy Chalamet. Uh, so definitely check that out. Uh, also, I do Bill versus the MCU for the Breakcast podcast feed that comes out the third Tuesday of every month. Uh, we are deep into phase four right now. Uh, we had, did Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, and Spider-Man No Way Home uh, in September. And our October episode is going to be all about Moon Knight, Multiverse of Madness, Miss Marvel, and Thor Love and Thunder as we are so, so close to completing the entire MCU rewatch in a single year. So I'm very proud that we were able to pull that off. Um, also on the Breakcast uh, podcast feed, I guested again on Batman by the Numbers, which is a monthly pod- uh, Batman-centric podcast hosted by Dan Cohen. Um, and I helped him uh, this past month make some sense of a very hectic summer of bat news. So check that out if you want to get all the... The, my thoughts on uh, Lady Gaga as Harley Quinn and uh, the cancellation of Batgirl as a film and, and all that stuff is, is over there. And as for our show, uh, you can follow Cinema Joes at Cinema Joes on Twitter and subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms. Thank you for that. And uh, we want to thank all of our listeners and our subscribers. Thank you for sticking with us. We have more content for you coming very soon. But for now, this is Justin Mancini for the Cinema Joes signing off.